electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa, and this is Squawk Pod. A crypto crisis. Exchange FTX is on the brink of collapse, and investors want their money. It's insane that this is an area that's not regulated. We'll hear from the top regulator, SEC chair Gary Gensler, with a warning to crypto companies. Come in and talk to us. The runway is getting shorter. The laws are clear. And Nike founder Phil Knight poured millions into one 2022 race. Spoiler, it's at odds with Nike itself. Nike's a, a, you know, got a lot of diverse opinions that uh, it's a creative place. So I don't expect everybody to agree with me and I'm, I'm finding the way things are. Becky Quick has a rare sit down with the shoe dog on politics and his first comments on Nike's split with NBA star Kyrie Irving. Kyrie stepped over the line. It's kind of that simple. Plus, what else got us squawking? We're the CEOs of this show. The battle of the blue check marks rages on. Whether I have a blue check mark or not, I don't really care about it. Really? It's Thursday, November 10th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now, the latest on the midterm elections, Republicans appear on track now to secure a slim majority in the House. Control of the Senate is so far is far from decided and that Georgia Senate race now headed for a runoff in December. Votes are still being counted in Arizona and Nevada with the results too early to call. The Wall Street Journal editorial board isn't pulling its punches, calling former President Trump, quote, the Republican Party's biggest loser after his preferred Senate candidates, New Hampshire and Pennsylvania lost. His Arizona Senate candidate is trailing in the current polls and his Georgia candidate heading for a runoff. So that's what the Wall Street Journal said. Here's what the New York Post said. Trump de dumpty. Well, owned by the Daily same people. Daily News said but, Trump's big fail. Yeah. It's kind of again and again. It, it, Murdoch well. land is is. There, it's DeSantis land now. And it's not just Murdoch. There's a lot of just normal conservatives and Republicans are. It's like, I, I described that, you know, Cat has nine lives. He's on about, he's definitely hit, hit nine. And I'm just wondering what, what really, I, I, what's going to be interesting is November 15th. You mean what he says? Whether he still does that. He, he's in a, he's really in a, he's in a box. Because he said he's going to do it. If he doesn't do it, it means that he senses that there's been damage. You think he really And then if do he it, does right? do it, it's going to be, there might be, it might not be a Anything. very exciting event for, for anyone. I have a hard time seeing him back Trumpy now. Dumpty is. Uh, but isn't the, the good news of all of this, and, and this is based on some of the conversations I had had just yesterday with CEOs and other things, but investors too. And, and conversations no, we've had. And our, and our, we're the CEOs of this show, so you don't our, need to talk to a bunch of, We don't have to talk to no, other people. No, but I'm people. saying in terms of what the investment, look, everybody likes stability, right? Right. And I think there's, and I think that if, if, if you're taking that off the table, 
you which is return, what I think is being done here. You could return to the two parties talking to each other. You might at some. You point. might be able you to. Could, a guy like Youngkin or something, or you know, DeSantis. Is, and then the question is, does DeSantis actually move more towards the middle? Had he, he not, been trying to take not, that populist? I, I, I wouldn't call. He may be populist, but I wouldn't call him uh, ultra MAGA. And and his results show that you can win a swing state, which used to be a swing state like Florida, you can win in a landslide through being an effective governor. And everything that he did down there was, was effective. That's well, why his record is so. Hurricane, pandemic, whatever you want to look at. He, you saw his speech. He's not backing off either. He says, this is where woke comes to die. We reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. Florida, and it's going to stay that way. So I don't know. New this morning, Bloomberg, uh, not the guy, the, I guess the news service is reporting that Elon Musk emailed Twitter workers for the first time late yesterday to Prepare them for difficult times ahead. What is it that they've had for the past six months? He also banned remote work unless he personally approves it. Wow, that's going to be hard for each employee. Saying he expects employees to be in the office for at least 40 hours a week. Musk said there was no way to sugarcoat this message about the uh, economic outlook and how it would affect a company like Twitter that relies on, uh, on advertising. Meantime, Twitter's new pay for verification system already facing a wave of fake accounts for high profile people and brands. The platform rolled out the $8 a month version of its blue subscription service yesterday, but so far spoof accounts, several high profile uh, athletes, including LeBron James, have all been suspended, as well as one account claiming to be Nintendo of America. Spokesperson for Twitter did not immediately respond uh, to a request for comment by NBC News. That's, that's the issue. Anybody can pretend for eight bucks that they are anyone or any place else. That's crazy. Little, yeah. I, there's still Joe Kernan's hair still tweets. Uh, there are several others <laughs> of yeah. interesting, like people's ties, people's. Yeah. You got it. You got some, don't you? No. Oh, that are Andrew Ross. To be me? I think oh, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of those. There's a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of those. But those aren't. Those are your, parody accounts. Your hair cool doesn't specifically have an account. Uh, in my, I don't know. Really? I'm sure someone will be making one right now. <laughs> Mark Cuban was tweeting last night saying, "Hey, just as one entrepreneur to another, when you're wearing your Twitter complaint um, hat and looking at things." He said uh, he spent like the last couple of hours going through and trying to mute all these people who have these new blue check marks for when he when you put it over to authenticate or verified users right. when you're looking at things that had totally junked that up and made it very hard yeah, for him to kind of really. get through and listen to any of those things. He said it in a nice way. Well, no, the conundrum with this new system is I used to look at the blue check mark as some kind of verification, verification. not just yeah. that they were a real human being, but they were but what they said. ostensibly somebody had said now again this is part of what Elon Musk is trying to get at that, that he wants to sort of flatten the world between experts and non-experts and people who are of a certain ilk or this and that and I get it but I actually enjoyed especially during certain times where you're looking for trying to figure out like which doctors are actually saying stuff that could either be real or not or what's going on and again I know people have debates about that too but knowing that, that somebody has said yeah that's actually some I hate to say somebody because it sounds terrible but somebody rather than you know, the muck. I, 
Can you imagine? The, you know, some of the greatest experts are right in the No, but this, that's, that's why the, I said the, I, I understand the idea of trying to flatten the system. And, I, you know, whether I have a blue check mark or not, I don't really care about. What I'm saying is, as really? a. I don't care personally at all. What I'm saying is. You just don't want somebody to, else. I, I don't care about someone. Well, if someone you don't want somebody else to have a blue check mark that says they're fine. you. But yeah. no, I wouldn't be able to. I actually enjoy being able to read through the things and be able to spot, you know, not who's who, but what's what. And, and I think it actually helps give you a little bit. Of, it's like a signifier that something's going on here. And, I, it, and, and by the way, you, you may not care if you have a blue check mark. You don't want somebody else ha having a blue check mark impersonating you and running around and saying crazy things. Um, I just don't think you want people impersonating you. Yeah. So. Can you, well, can you imagine asking Elon Musk if, if you could work from home? There is, <laughs> there is someone that's at Joe Squawk with a check mark running around crazy, saying crazy things. That'd be there you. is. That'd be you. Yeah, it would actually be me, but uh, that's definitely happening on, on you know pretty consistent basis, as you have pointed out. <laughs> Up next on Squawk Pod, news for the crypto exchange FTX has gone from bad to worse. Once worth thirty-two billion dollars, and now struggling to survive. If FTX no longer survives, what happens to Binance? what happens to all of these others. Top enforcer, SEC chair, Gary Gensler, joins us on the crypto collapse. When you, you mix together a bunch of customer money, non-disclosure, and leverage, borrowing against it, and inside uh, you know, these companies trading, uh, investors get hurt. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Here's Andrew. Hugh Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk. Shockwaves in the crypto world. Just one day after Binance reached a deal to bail out rival FTX amid that liquidity crisis, Binance's CEO, CZ, calling off the deal. He cited corporate due diligence and news reports regarding mishandled customer funds and alleged U.S. agency investigations. He tweeted, quote, in the beginning, our hope was to be able to support FTX's customers to provide liquidity, but the issues are beyond our control or ability to help. In an email to Binance employees, CZ said he didn't, quote, master plan the collapse of FTX. He wrote, quote, FTX going down is not good for anyone in the industry. Do not view it as a win for us. User, confident, user confidence, I should say, is severely shaken. 
It's unclear if there are other buyers uh, in line to buy FTX. CEO Sam Bankman-Fried reportedly told investors that the company is facing a shortfall of up to $8 billion from withdrawal requests and needs emergency funding. In the last 15 minutes or so, FTX said that all onboarding of new clients has been suspended until further notice. Uh, there have been questions about whether this company will be forced to file for bankruptcy. If it were to file for bankruptcy, where it would file for bankruptcy? It's based in the Bahamas. Uh, there's obviously a U.S. arm that thus far has been, we think, um, protected from the rest of it. We don't know. Um, there's talk about the Department of Justice looking at this as, 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 a, as a real issue. Uh, the idea being that there was a co potentially a commingling of funds. Um, I mean, that, you start to think deal. about... Ponzi schemes, you start to think about Bernie Madoff, you start to think about whether this was something that just happened recently Even in terms of when, you know, if you think about the, the, the uh, three arrow capital uh, debacle, you know, there was a lot of movement over the summer where a lot of these firms were trying to steady themselves. He was obviously trying to steady the rest of the industry and clearly at some point may have uh, may have uh, combined these funds and then obviously levered them using their own currency. So I mean, e even, a, if, even if you're not talking a Ponzi scheme, even if you're not talking Bernie Madoff, just the commingling of funds gets you back to like an MF Global situation or something. I mean, there are big issues and, and that's a big no-no. And we've seen it time and time again where we think people who are great at technology are good at risk assessment too. And that, <laughs> we watched well, look, that with Robinhood last I year. I mean, I think that then, then there's a whole sort of second order affect a group of questions. You have big funds like Sequoia who've invested in this. BlackRock. Where, you know, what kind of diligence were they doing? They put out a memo last night saying, of course, that they do their diligence. They looked at the company when they put their money back in in, in 21. This is a company, by the way, talk about red flag. And I'm not talking about Sequoia, I'm talking about FTX. Doesn't have a CFO. There's no CFO, it's a financial company and there's no CFO. And nobody seemed to be walking around going, where is, the CFO, how is this even possible? So I think there's, there's just so many questions that we're all asking. And then, of course, it raises sort of the next order effect question, which is if FTX no longer survives, what happens to Binance? What happens to all of these others? Are, are these other firms as leveraged? Are they, but are, keep going after that. Uh, let's get to whether it's systemic. And I just looked up the, the market cap of Bitcoin, 300 billion. So. You mean systemic beyond crypto? We're, beyond we're talking. Crypto. If you, if look, is this if you look it? The is this the one that, that right. the Fed, you know, the Scott Miner, if the Fed keeps going, they're going to break something? I right. don't think this, could, you know, but the Thai bot didn't seem like it was, uh, or LTCM didn't. Yeah, seem but I like think there's, I mean, two, there's, can, there's two pieces to this. There's the valuation of Bitcoin, right, and then the valuation of Ether and Solana and all of the you others. Add them all up, but it's still not like like the bond market no, no, or, no, or, or not, CDOs not, it, it, or no, mortgage-backed securities. But then you have to think about the ecosystem. And all of the corporate valuations of all of the businesses that were built around this, right? This was a business that was worth supposedly $32 billion just. So right. then all the pension funds and everybody else in venture capital that had poured into building the ecosystem. Right. And then you add on top of that all of the employees that have been working on this said ecosystem. Which and is why it's insane that this is an area that's not regulated. <laughs> Which, which, which is a <laughs> which is something we'll talk about. Very with Gary good Gensler. question that we're going to talk to Gary Gensler about. Right now, we want to bring in 
the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler. Good morning to you, Gary. Uh, thank you Good for to be joining with you, us. Andrew. Uh, lots of questions this morning for you uh, about what is happening. And so let's just start with what do you know and what are you investigating? <laughs> Andrew, as you can imagine, and your viewers know that I can't speak about any uh, possible investigations, but let's step back and say what's happening here. And it's it's really as, as old as finance and as antiquity. When you, you mix together a bunch of customer money, non-disclosure, and leverage, borrowing against it, and inside uh, you know, these companies trading, uh, investors get hurt. And I think just looking at what we see in the press, if I can stay with that, just Andrew, um, uh, this story has been going on for uh, many months. Uh, you remember the collapse of Terra Luna and a bunch of crypto lending platforms. Well, it looks like in the last few days, this is all interconnected. This is a very uh, interconnected world in crypto with a few concentrated players at the middle. And one of those concentrated players had the toxic uh, uh, combinations of lack of disclosure, customer money, uh, a lot of leverage, meaning borrowing, and then trying to invest with that. And then when uh, markets turned on them, uh, it appears that uh, uh, a lot of customers lost money. And that's, that's where our uh, mission is, is about those customers. Well, let's talk about that, Gary, because critics would say, look, you have uh, been talking about the need for regulating uh, and yet have not. There's been lots of focus. We had you on last time uh, when you went after Kim Kardashian. Uh, but on a relative basis, going after Kim Kardashian uh, compared to uh, what is now a, a massive undoing of FTX um, isn't enough. What do you say about that? Look, I, I think that investors need better protection in this space. But I would say this. This is a field that's significantly non-compliant, but it is, it's got regulation and those regulations <laughs> are often very clear. And we have multiple paths. And one path is working with those uh, crypto exchanges, crypto lending platforms, and to get them properly registered. And why that matters is that so the public's protected. But we have another path, which is enforcement. We've brought between my predecessor and, and the teams uh, now at the SEC, um, uh, at least 100 actions in this case. And we've been very clear in these various uh, uh, enforcement actions. And we had a big win even this week on a crypto token called Library, where a court clearly said, you've been on fair notice. And yes, this is the securities under the securities law. But, uh, but, but Gary, in, these in, fairness, these, these in fairness, in fairness there, there are millions, if not billions of dollars that are going to get tied up that potentially will get lost in this situation by in investors, uh, not just retail investors, but pensions that have given money to venture capitalists that have invested in these things. Shouldn't this be more regulated? Yes, Andrew. And the laws are clear. And and look, the runway is running out. I mean, uh, uh, the American public and, and investors around the globe are getting hurt by a field that says they, they put a lot of fancy talk around it, Andrew, and the technology is interesting. And I taught it at MIT, and I think that it's there is some interest innovations here, but we still need investor protection. And so what I would say is 
come in and talk to us. You've heard that before. The runway is getting right. shorter and the, the laws are clear. And it's pretty rich for me when I think about it. When I mean, look, there's also celebrities. You talked about celebrities. There's celebrity CEOs in this space as well. Celebrity right. crypto uh, uh, entrepreneurs. And so the public can can fall prey to their uh, promotions, their marketing and the like. And it's really important. Our third path is also investor education. Going on a show like this right. is also to say to the public, beware, this is highly speculative. It is regulated, but uh, without prejudging any one circumstance, largely non-compliant. Gary, you said uh, people should come in, if you will. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, it appears from your calendar uh, on March 29th, 2022, at 4 p.m., came in and actually met with you, uh, along with Brad Katsuyama of IEX, someone who has uh, draped himself in the flag, if you will, of, of, of an honorable exchange. Do you feel like you were hoodwinked? I think we've been clear uh, uh, in these meetings, and you can look at my it's my calendar's public, uh, many meetings with folks in this industry. It, very clear in these meetings, same message to the public, same message to them, uh, that non-compliance is not going to work. The public's going to be hurt, but also we're going to continue on these dual paths. And if we need to, going to be the cop on the beat, going into court, uh, putting the facts and the law in front of uh, judges. Gary, the, being the cop on the beat, I, I guess if we were looking at your M.O. to date, it, it, going after somebody like Kim Kardashian because it's a celebrity front, because maybe that sends a signal more broadly. Uh, you just mentioned that there are some celebrity CEOs here. Is it fair to think if you're going to continue in that vein that you're going to be targeting those celebrity CEOs again because it sends a broad message and, and maybe gets people in line a little more quickly? Well, it's also, if I could, Becky, it's about the the platforms or the intermediaries. This is not like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Um, uh, these platforms, and there's just a handful of lending platforms and a handful of so-called exchanges, which co-mingle. It's, it's also another toxic combination where they, they take people's money, they borrow against it. It's, it's not much disclosure. And then they trade against their customers. So it's getting and, and focusing on those platforms. Building the evidence, building the facts uh, often takes time. I'll just use one example, which was uh, is, is public. So I can say this, uh, but uh, in Terra Luna, that, that legal entity, uh, we filed, uh, 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 served a subpoena in September of last year. We actually opened the investigation earlier. That's all public. That's why I can say it. And that was challenged in court at the district court, at the appellate court, all the way to a cert petition at the Supreme Court. That took a year. So defendants also have uh, appropriately an ability to go into court. I think the better path is come in, work with us, get registered. We can use some exemptive authority to mold some of these uh, um, registrations. But we're going to continue on these three paths, investor education, uh, trying to get the, the, the intermediaries registered properly to protect the public, and also uh, being the cop on the beat.
Yeah, so that does, that's the long answer for yes, you are going to be targeting them, I think. Um, let me ask you something else that just feels wrong to me. I don't know if it's illegal, but watching how this stuff plays out in the headlines, um, where you see this deal, we've got a deal, a letter of intent, maybe this deal is going to go through, we're looking at it, you see huge moves and all the underlying issues underneath it as a result. CZ with Binance saying this first, now you've got Justin Tron saying he's putting together a solution without any details on it. TRX momentarily surged 4,000% on FTX after that happened. Uh, there are all of these issues that are out there, and it moves things in huge ways, and there's real money that's at play here and real investors who are potentially getting defrauded on this stuff. Is it illegal when you look I, into this I stuff? couldn't agree with you more. It's um, There's 10,000-plus tokens, and there's as many as 1,000 coming on every uh, month to quarter. And so many of them have very thin trading and the purported values, and I say purported values, might be only on very few trades. And then others are sitting with large uh, buckets of these tokens. And we you know, saw this happen with the Terra Luna tokens uh, uh, earlier this year. And there was a token in the middle of this as well. What was its value where there are only a few holders of it? what was making those values. Secondly, you said disclosure. In our securities laws, if you come to a merger agreement, even a letter of intent, there has to be full and fair and truthful disclosure. Let me ask you a, another question, Gary, which actually relates to Tether and stable coins. Tether's now uh, under a buck. for And, and, and your former, uh, your predecessor, uh, Jay Clayton, has called for regulation on stable coins. Um, I raise the question because here we are again. Don't we need to know uh, whether whether a bank deposit is actually a bank deposit or whether it's a money market at this point? Look, uh, I, I've said this for some time. Uh, the the so-called purported stable coins, uh, if they're not that stable or if they pay a yield, a reward, an interest directly or indirectly, those are... Uh, uh, indications that the public is anticipating profits and that these uh, uh, could be securities under the securities laws. Um, but I think that the public has seen that these are very much like a money market funds. And as you say, they sometimes don't trade at par. And we don't have the proper disclosure again behind what right. stands behind those claims. But Gary, what do you say to the critics who say this is happening on your watch? You are the cop on the beat. You've tried to claim a jurisdiction for this arena as there's been, as you know, a battle between the SEC and the CFTC over uh, who's in Andrew, charge. For part of it, I, I think that it, it, and I, I was honored to chair the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, uh, I, I, I think very highly. Uh, there's, there's part of this market, non-security crypto tokens. I think it's small in number of tokens. It might be significant in, in size of market cap. So I think there's work for uh, both of us market regulators, as well as other regulators around anti-money laundering and sanctions. I mean, this field uh, uh, really needs to come into compliance. Uh, um, and in terms of our efforts of the CIA, SEC. I can't be prouder of the, the staff of the SEC, uh, but we too have limited resources. We have a $100 trillion capital market to oversee. And that $100 trillion capital markets, the stock market, the bond markets, treasuries and the like, that's an important responsibility. And we don't want to undermine that. But what, what's, this, the, 
but relatively mar- new market. But, but what's the public supposed to think when we have a company that was worth literally $32 billion with some of the biggest venture capital firms out there, by the way, supported by pension funds in large part, teachers, firemen and the like, investing in a company that, by the way, didn't have a CFO. Look, I think it's pretty clear, Andrew, and and we're going to do what Congress and the American public expect. We're going to be clear in our voice about the risk, the speculative risk in what is appears to be largely non-compliant actors. We're going to continue to be uh, working with the industry to try to get them properly registered, but also that cop on the beat. These things take time, and you would want them to take time so that we build the facts out. But I would say the runway is getting shorter. If you're a crypto investor today, how much confidence should you have in the system? I would say to the American public, uh, be careful, beware. Uh, there's still a lot of non-compliance, and when you give somebody your token and they go down, you're going to just stand in line at a bankruptcy court, and they may be taking your token and doing all sorts of things without proper disclosure. Now, if it's one-to-one backed and there's really good disclosure and you're protected against fraud manipulation, that's all we're saying. That's what the securities laws are. There is a path forward right. to these uh, intermediaries. But but, but for, for Americans who have money on an exchange like a Coinbase, which is, which is based in the U.S. publicly traded company, uh, also under your jurisdiction, or a Binance, the two biggest ones at this point that are remaining, should they feel confident that they can get their money out of those those firms? Uh, I, I'm not going to speak to any one platform, but I would say that you you have uh, risk. You, you, these the rules and the laws are clear, but do not assume that these firms are complying with the, the uh, rules and the laws that the New York Stock Exchange or the biggest uh, brokerage apps uh, are complying with. Gary Gensler, we appreciate you coming on, especially uh, during uh, what has turned out to be quite a drama and uh, crisis. We will uh, continue to keep our eyes on the story, and we hope to talk to you again very, very soon as this continues to play out. And Thank you, Andrew Beck. Thank you so much. Cheese will be next. Coming up next, the Nike creator, Phil Knight. His first comments on Nike's split with Kyrie Irving and what the shoe dog billionaire has to do with Oregon's tight, tight, tight governor's race. And why after years of flying under the radar, the quiet founder is speaking out. I thought a change was needed, so I took an active role in this one. And I, yeah. But I've been active in others, but ne- never to this scale. The whole story, up next on Squawk Pod. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Cameron Costa. This next conversation is, like our broadcast namesake, a little business, a little politics. 
It's with Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike. He's still chairman emeritus of the company, and you might know him from his memoir, a New York Times bestseller called Shoe Dog. He built the iconic company with his late colleague Bill Bowerman in Oregon, which is important, you'll hear in a second. Knight was the first to recognize the potential in the Chinese market in the 80s. He built up sports culture there, built a consumer base, and still Nike takes up the majority of the athleisure and athletic markets there. Now, he rarely does public interviews. He did quite a few back in 2016 when his memoir launched, and a few years later he gave an interview at Stanford School of Business where he got his own masters. But otherwise, not much, until now. He's been pretty low on the radar considering his career and, well, his wealth. He's a billionaire, no surprise. But this midterm election cycle, Knight stepped back into the headlines with a rare interview with the New York Times and with our own Becky Quick. In Oregon, see, told you that would come back, there's a tight race for governor. I mean, really tight. It's still too close to call with over 70% of the votes in as I'm recording this right now. Tina Kotek is the Democrat candidate. I'm Tina Kotek, I'm running to be Oregon's next governor. She's a former state house speaker and if she wins, she'd be one of the first openly lesbian governors. The Republican candidate is Christine Drazen, former minority leader of the Oregon House. She's running an anti-abortion, tough-on-crime campaign, running as an independent, important to our story, but frankly, nowhere close to winning, is Betsy Johnson. If you were to look at Oregon history, you'd wonder why it's such a close race. The state's been run by a Democrat governor for 34 years. Biden won the state in 2020 by a large margin. But Betsy Johnson, a centrist, has taken some Democrats' votes away from Kodak, making it way tighter than in past years. And Betsy's campaign was helped in early days by Phil Knight, who donated nearly $4 million to her. Later in the race, he tossed a million to Christine Drazen when it looked like Betsy Johnson wasn't gonna win. In that New York Times interview, he said he was, quote, an anti-Tina person. Kotek responded to that comment in a conversation on Pod Save America. She chatted with a former Obama staffer. He's trying to flip the whole state red. I don't know what his problem is. He has said publicly he doesn't like me. I've never met him. Mm. I don't, you know, whatever. But all I can say is I stand up for working people. I stand up for fairness. I want a fair tax system. So maybe he just doesn't like that. Now it's all a little awkward. Nike, the company, has backed Tina Kodak in the race. Her platform aligns with Nike's equity and sustainability initiatives. Drazen, for her part, is more conservative. Here she is on Fox News. There is no universe in which the murder rate in Portland should be close to the murder rate in Mexico City. Phil Knight has lived in Oregon all his life, and he loves it. I got webs between my toes. Apparently, it's muddy there, and early Oregonians were called webfoots, which I didn't know. But lately, the crime has gotten to him. And he, seemingly, is one of those Oregonians that Drazen's appealing to, who's just had enough. 
There's other shoe news too. Nike cut ties with NBA player Kyrie Irving after he promoted and stuck to promoting anti-Semitic material on his social media. Of course, Kanye West lost his own partnership with Adidas for anti-Semitism all his own. So there was a lot for Becky to cover with Phil Knight. She sat down at CNBC. I'm just sitting back at the office. And Phil was in his beloved home state. Wow, your place is nice. This is our place in Central Oregon. It's the uh, best place on earth. Phil, first of all, thanks for agreeing to do this. I appreciate it. Um, second of all, it's really good to see you. It's been a long yeah. time since yeah. we've got to hang out and got to talk. And I was just thinking about this, the idea that you actually got active in this. It, I, you're somebody I've known for a long time and you don't speak out very often. I, I think you've said that your idea of an extrovert is somebody who looks at the other guy's shoes. Um, right. So I just wonder, why are you speaking out now? Why this? What kind of got you into the mode where you wanted to get out there? Well, I, uh, are we on the air? We're, we're, we're taping, yeah. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> that... Uh... No, well, I'm an Oregonian is the bottom line, that uh, Oregonian by birth and by emotion. And uh, the joke is I have webs between my toes and uh, I really didn't like the way the state was going and uh, thought a change was needed. So I took an active role in this one. And I, yeah. But I've been active in others, but ne never to this scale. Mm. Yeah, this was the, I, I believe it's the most any individual has ever donated. Um, and, and I think the gubernatorial race itself brought in more donations on on all sides than it ever has before. I, I think you gave something around three and a half million if you count what you gave to the two candidates, if you count what the PAC was. Am I am I off on that, on my measurements there? No, I was actually, I, uh, I gave the most to Betsy Johnson, you know, a lifelong Democrat who was running as an independent. And I gave three and a half million dollars to her. And uh, when it became quite clear that she couldn't win, but the Republican could, I gave a million and a half to uh, Christine Drazen. And right now, it's they're not it's, uh, too close to call, but it looks to me like uh, Tina Kotek uh, is going to win for the 11th Democrat governor in a row. Mm. So are you um, disappointed that you that you gave money to begin with, that you got involved, or do you think it still sends a message? No, I don't think it really sends a message. I, I'm, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm disappointed in the result. I'm not disappointed that I tried. What What was it that you saw in in your home state that that made you think this is not the direction it should be headed? Well, this is a state that obviously I lived in my whole life, and growing up here, that uh, the public schools were excellent. Both my wife and I are products of public schools. That uh, I lived in a suburb of Portland, and uh, you left the doors unlocked at night, and it was just a safe, a really great place where it really had kind of a small town mentality for everybody, even though Portland was a fairly big town. And that's changed now to I think there was a three to six month period last year where Portland, Oregon was the murder capital of the U.S. It had more murders per capita than Chicago. It's got a huge drug addiction problems. Uh, it basically passed a law that cocaine and uh, and heroin are legal, uh, that uh, so uh, that they have a huge homeless problem, a huge, huge drug addiction problem. And it's really funny that the, uh, it's probably, Tina Kotek's probably the most far left Democrat of all the 11 that have been elected. And she's probably one of, the, she's certainly one of the two most powerful politicians in the state over the last 10 years. And uh, she's running against, she's running for change in the state of Oregon. She's the one that created the problem. Uh, but uh, anyway, voters, voters are unique and uh, 
it looks like that she's going to be elected. <laughs> what do you think led to all these problems? What policies allowed this to happen? Well, I think you're going to start with the legalization of drugs. I, I think that's led to a huge problem and really made the crime problem worse. It made the homeless problem worse. Worse. It's uh, defund the police. Uh, Portland had probably the biggest defund the police movement in the whole country. And uh, so all of, it, at the end of the day, it's like anything. It's leadership. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of legalization um, of, of drugs is, is a tricky one because it's not just your state. That's kind of the trend in the nation at this point. Do you have any thoughts of, of, of fighting that on a, on a broader scale or this is only something you want to get involved in in Oregon? Oh, I don't think I'll get it on a broad scale, but I would say that other people, other states that are thinking about it, take a look at Oregon and see what's happening. It's not a pretty picture. Mm. You know, Phil, I, I know that these are, are views that are your views and not the views of Nike, the company that you founded and where you're the chairman emeritus. Um, but you are so synonymous with Nike because this is the company that you built. Um, people associate you with it. And I think of, of somebody like you, maybe somebody like Warren Buffett, who's so tightly associated with Berkshire Hathaway. Do you, did you have any concerns about getting out there and touching this third rail politics in terms of worrying about what it might mean for Nike, especially when some of Nike's policies tend to be quite a bit more progressive? Yeah, that... Uh... No, no, that I mean, I basically I uh, I separated the two that, uh, you know, um, John Donahoe is the CEO at Nike. He's probably a little bit to my left, but not far. There's not an ocean of distance between us and uh, that uh, he's the best CEO in the industry and probably one of the two or three best CEOs in the world of any industry. And uh, as I say, there's not an ocean of difference. They they Nike contributed some money to Tina Kotek. Uh, and uh, we're not going to Nike's, a, a, you know, got a lot of di- diverse opinions that uh, it's a creative place and it, it, the creativity comes out of the diversity of the diversity of opinions. And uh, so I don't expect everybody to agree with me and I'm, I'm fine the way things are. Mm-hmm. You feel a little weird that, you know, you're you're donating money to two candidates and your company's donating to the third <laughs> in the race. A little but uh, it's uh, that's that's the way it works. <laughs> Um, what what is I mean, just watching Nike, I, I think the biggest question anybody would have recently coming out of there is this decision to to separate from Kyrie Irving. Um, I know it was reaching the end of his contract, but that was a pretty hot button topic. What, what, what do you think, I guess, from the company's perspective, but just your own perspective, too, on this? That decision, well, he, you know, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie stepped over the line. It's kind of that simple. And uh, so he, he made some statements that we just can't abide by. And that's where we ended the relationship. And yeah, I, I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. You, as you mentioned, it's a diverse place, a lot of different opinions that are out there. How, how, do, how do you think about it just in terms of the athletes that you curate, who you decide to sign, how you go after it? Um, it's been a huge focal point in the marketplace over the last three years. Or, Several years, I should say. What What have your your thoughts been as the, one of the co-founders of the company and the guy who really built the place? Well, I think you know, obviously, athlete association has been key from the very beginning, uh, and it's still key that uh, that we look, work that very hard. We look at uh, who we sign and how much we pay, and uh, we look not only how good the athlete is, but how what his or her character are. are and uh, so uh, it's a it's not an exact science, that, uh, but it's a process that we go through with a lot of intensity, with a lot of people sticking their head in it. Uh, and uh, it's one that, uh, you know, it goes all the way to the CEO because some of the numbers that are paid are pretty big. Uh, 
Mm. You know, the decision with Kyrie, Kyrie, as you said, he crossed a line. Did he have a chance to step back? Because it seems like the Nets had given him plenty of opportunities to oh. apologize. Was that he, the same situation? Yeah, same situation. He was dug in. Mm. So is there no going back at this point? Was that, that like... That's I, I would doubt that we would go back. But uh, yeah, so that's... But I, I, I don't know for sure. Stepping away from, from the eight, is that a big hit to the company? I, I know earlier today, Adidas announced that they're going to be um, lowering numbers substantially because of their, their decision to part ways with Kanye West. Is it a big hit to you guys to not roll out the eight with Kyrie, the, the oh, eight series? Um it's not nearly as significant as the Adidas uh, easy uh, drop. It's a, it's a, it's a minor hit. Mm. Immaterial. It, it's I don't think. It, uh, well, I would say it's not material. <laughs> yeah, it's not material. Uh, you know, just uh, in terms of of Nike and and the midterms and in terms of these elections, um, one of the huge issues has been the supply chain and the relationship with China, and that's a big issue for a lot of companies. And I was kind of thinking of it in context of, of what you did. I mean, you created this company with your, your amazing idea to revolution of the way, revolutionize the way sneakers were made. You found a cheaper way to do it. You found a great way and you did it by traveling yourself to China and visiting with these people and, and forging relationships. But the United States relationship with China has changed so drastically over the last five years or so. Um, as somebody who was one of the early ones forging business ties there, what, what do you think of that relationship? And has it surprised you to see how things have changed? Yeah, it's uh, it's not uh, going as well as it was uh, four years ago, but uh, I still remain optimistic. I think uh, that uh, China will uh, China and the United States will find ways to to get together over the long run, and uh, so I stay optimistic on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to have a lot of friends that you've built up over the years there, and and absolutely. But uh, uh, but they remain friends, and, and as I say, I remain optimistic that uh, that the two nations will grow closer together in the coming four years rather than farther apart. Okay, um, Phil. Anything else that you're thinking about, just in terms of the economy, in terms of where you see things? Are are you optimistic about things, even though you, you the race doesn't seem like it's gone your way in Oregon? Yeah, I, uh, but but Oregon has got certain pockets of excellence. Uh, it's got uh, Oregon Health Sciences is one of the really great cancer research centers in the country. It doesn't it isn't well known, and uh, the other hospital is great in uh, cardiac uh, has great cardiac facility, and so and the two universities are growing. Uh, so I uh, yes, I'm I'm I think there's certain pockets of excellence in Oregon that uh, that bode well for it. And, mm -hmm. and you're not one of those people who's going to leave because you didn't get your way, right? That's right. <laughs> Oregon forever. I'm the way I got webs between my toes. Um, Phil, I want to thank you very much for your time this morning, for speaking with us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really great to see you. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. They're on CNBC every weekday morning starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us what you think. Send us comments or questions on Twitter while it lasts at Squawk CNBC. There is, there is someone that's at Joe Squawk with a check mark running around saying crazy things. That'd there be, is. That'd be you. Yeah. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.